The most basic question that all people at one point or another have to answer well is, who am I? And depending on how we answer it, well, it affects everything. My guest today, John Murray, has spent years as a parent and professional educator, and his latest research and writing is called In Whose Image. It's an amazing resource that he's going to talk about, helping students find practical, biblical answers to this question in the midst of our media-saturated culture. You don't want to miss this episode of Basecamp Live. Mountains, we all face them as we seek to influence the next generation. Get equipped to conquer the challenges, summit the peak, and shape exceptionally thoughtful, compassionate, and flourishing human beings. We call it Ancient Future Education for Raising the Next Generation. Welcome to Basecamp Live. Now your host, Davies Owens. Welcome to Basecamp Live. Davies Owens here on the line with John Murray. How are you, John? Doing well. Thanks for having me, Davies. It's great to connect with you. For those that don't know you, you have got a very um, very dynamic um, career path, 25 years in education, 17 years as head of school. You're now the founder and president um, of the Imago Day Leadership Forum, and you have, uh, you've been all around the country. You're in what, St. Louis right now. So... Uh, that's correct. Yes. And we've got some ties that go back to Atlanta days. And then you were out in California uh, running a school and you got four kids. Is that right? Yes. We have a senior at the University of Alabama, a sophomore at Gordon College. Um, our middle daughter is in the link year programs, a gap year program at Kanakuk. And then we have a sophomore in high school here in St. Louis at Westminster Christian Academy. You guys have covered the, covered the whole gamut. That's amazing. You, well, <laughs> right. and, and, and on top of all that, you're a prolific writer. We're going to talk about this new book in whose image, image bearers of God versus the image makers of our time and talk a lot about the issue of, of our of our children today trying to figure out who they are and how understand themselves as made in the image of God is really, really important. But I know you, you've written a, a ton of articles and documentaries, um, been in the Wall Street Journal, USA Today, uh, Barna, and we'll talk more about them. You've obviously been in partnership with them with some of your research, uh, Fox News, World Magazine. I don't know how you have time for four kids, all that writing. That's a lot of work. <laughs> well, thank you. Yeah. Late nights. <laughs> Late nights. Well, well, John, jump in and I'm just kind of talk a little bit about this new book. Why is this why is being an image bearer of God so important? What what brought you to write the book and, and have this passion? Well, I think, as, as you know, as an educator, there's so many things bombarding our kids today. And since uh, the invention of the smartphone and social media, I mean, everything is now at our kids' fingertips in terms of communication, what they can be exposed to or not. And it just takes incredible spiritual maturity and discernment to handle that kind of power in your fingertips, which in our day growing up, you know, to access pornography was very difficult. Whereas now it's just a click of a button away or ultraviolet media or images that may make you feel like you don't measure up in terms of your identity or body image, or just not being invited to a party and feeling out of the loop. You know, again, that was something like, we may not know about until yeah. Monday at school, but the kids see this stuff in real time. And it's just, as you know, just the anxiety and depression this has caused. I mean, I just feel like more than ever before, uh, our children's identity is just under assault. Yeah. So you were a teacher back up to when you kind of first started seeing, and it's probably, I always 
you know, use the date June of 2007, the smartphone came into existence. But even prior to that, there were issues, obviously, since the since the fall of man, the issue of who, <laughs> right. who am I and where do I belong have probably been asked many times. But what were some of the things right. you were seeing early on that kind of got you thinking this way? Well, what was interesting, so I was, um, I came out of Vanderbilt, uh, first year teacher to school in Atlanta called the Westminster Schools. And I was teaching creative writing and language arts. And by year three, I had shown a mystery uh, in the classroom. It was like a 20-minute mystery, and I cut the ending off, and I had the students <clears throat> write their own ending. Yeah. And we're going to read it in class the next day. Well, I got up, you know, four of my language arts classes, you know, and had the students start reading them, and they were horrifically violent. <laughs> like Wait, what grade shocking. is this again? This is what grade? This is sixth, sixth grade. Okay. So after like the third or fourth paper, I was like, okay, okay. I think Mr. Murray's going to read these now. <laughs> and I was just sort of kind of flipping through them because I was just like picturing phone calls from parents. Like you talking about what in your class? And I'm like, so, um, wow. so anyway, I, I just, um, I didn't know how to respond again. I didn't want to, you know, my students on a guilt trip, but I was just so shocked by the blood and gore. And, just, and, and by the way, this is a, this is a very well-regarded uh, Christian um, school in Atlanta. Right. That actually my right. grandmother and parents went to and my wife went to. So I'm very familiar with it. Yep. Yeah. So this is 1992. And I, I asked the kids, how many of you guys have seen, uh, you know, the Friday the 13th movies or Nightmare on Elm Street and all these tans go up. And I'm going, you're in sixth grade. And I even went as far as to ask how many had seen Silence of the Lambs. And you know, again, hands are going up. Um, so I was just really just horrified. And and I was praying about how do I speak into this without, you know, sermonizing or feel like I'm just pointing the finger at them. Well, the next day I was in class, I was reading we were reading the novel Tuck Everlasting. We were just kind of taking a break to do this creative writing assignment. And we resumed reading Tuck Everlasting. And there was a, if you know the story, uh, this young girl, Winnie, stumbles across this kind of fountain of youth and this family uh, that has drank this water knows that they don't want anybody to not be able to die because they've lived a pretty miserable life. Um, and so they kidnap her to try to keep her from telling anyone. And there's a man who's found out about the fountain is trying to get to them and wants to you know, obviously make money and sell the product. Well, anyway, they, uh, he comes to try to get her and they, to defend her, hit this guy over the head with a shotgun, the butt of the shotgun. And, and she witnesses this. And it, in the story, it says, you know, Winnie was very shaken by this. and doesn't talk for a couple of days. And I turned to my students. It was like the Holy spirit. It was like, this opportunity to say, you know, why do you think Winnie reacted like this? Yeah. And the kids amazingly just sat there and no, these are bright kids. And in all my classes, there was just no response. And I said, could it be she had never seen something like this before that she was just horrified by watching a man get struck like this violently and ultimately died from this blow. And so it started this whole conversation about us being desensitized mm. to violence. And, and I even pointed the finger at myself. I said, look, you know, yesterday was a kind of an epiphany for me because I realized, you know, 
as an adult, I've been watching a lot of these movies too and not thinking about just the impact this has on me. And I gave the example of Total Recall. I don't know if you remember the Schwarzenegger futuristic movie, but there was a scene where he was being shot at and he grabs a dead body and holds it up like a shield as he's going mm. up an escalator. Just bullets are flying into it and then cast it aside. I said, you know, how many times do we watch movies like this and not view these people's image bearers of God? Yeah. You know, they're like the Star Trek disposable mm. crewmen, right? Yeah. Yep. You know, but you know, that person has a family or, you know, I know it's not real. And of course that was their response. Well, Mr. Murray, you know, we know movies are fake and it's not real, you know, what's the big deal. And then this is where, again, the Holy spirit laid it on my heart and just gave me this kind of wisdom that, cause I had never had this conversation before. And I said, well, what if you saw a beautiful Labrador retriever coming across the screen and Schwarzenegger jumps out and just with the machine guns, like he just mows down the stall. And you're like, oh, Mr. Murray, that's awful. That's horrible. How could you say that? And it's like, but it's fake, right? Come on. What's the big deal? Interesting. And they're like, yeah. no, it's totally different. I'm like, it's not. And so, as a matter of fact, not that I want to see animal cruelty, but that's an animal versus an image bearer of God. And we are unfazed by that because we've seen it so much. And you're talking about 92 when you were having these discoveries. So it's been, right. a, so, so we look at where we are today. And I think this is, I call it, I often on the podcast talk about the 301 problem, which is even in our, a lot of our, you know, listeners are in classical Christian schools. You've had your family in a, in a classical Christian school before in San Diego. And you know, our schools are very intentional in creating purposeful time. But the minute the bell rings at the end of the day, the world comes crashing in and that was 92 and where are we today? And so you've, you've even, so not to jump ahead yet, but you, this also along the way you prompted you to do a documentary that was really examining TV and media influences and, and violence and how it's impacting image. So explain kind of how that worked. Cause you, you were awarded some real accolades for that, for that documentary. Well, thank you. And this again was totally just guides. I can see him orchestrating this because I, I was, Going to, going to Dartmouth, I had been enrolled to get my master's and I was looking at doing creative writing and education courses. But after this experience, I decided to look at the history of media and filmmaking and really just take a deep dive into this. And so one of my documentary independent studies was on this topic of TV movie violence and its effects on real life violence. And my sister-in-law at the time was uh, interning for a Paul Coverdale, senator in Georgia, and she was able to get access to all these studies and briefings they had done because they were talking about this issue in Congress. And so I got this wealth of data sent to me. And as I started looking at this issue, was just, again, appalled by um, just all the correlations. So I ended up getting a grant and going out to Hollywood and interviewing people in the industry of what they thought of whether TV movie violence causes real life violence. Mm. And one of the people that I miraculously got to interview through a friend of mine was Charlton Heston. Oh, interesting. And wow. So he was just going through this whole ordeal with ice T where ice T had done the song cop killer and Heston had gone before the born of Warner brothers said, you know, how can we uh, promote this? We wouldn't do Jew killer or, blank fill in the blank killer why are we doing cop killer well ice t came out and threatened to kill heston of course <laughs> this is when Heston famously said hey, uh, i pack heat you know because he was an nra right. member <laughs> right but um so i interviewed him for 45 minutes 
and we're walking into this ceremony because he was there to um, receive an award from the movie guide and the filmmakers come out and said uh john we don't know how to tell you this but the interview didn't take <laughs> i was no. like what are you t- are you kidding me but i just sat there i was like okay lord i trust you i'm checking my so recording he, button here on the podcast right now hold on a second yeah we're good Go ahead. yeah yeah okay so uh <laughs> anyway i don't want to have goes, that happen to me yep <laughs> right. So he gets up to accept this award and it was for this series he did on A&E on the Bible where he read yeah. the Bible uh, dramatically on location. And I guess I got him thinking about the power of media and he got up and said, you know, Vladimir Lenin once said, which made him a very prescient observer, the moving image, the motion picture is the most potent tool for shaping the mind of man ever invented. Wow. Well, he had not come close to saying anything like that in our interview. I mean, he was all just going off on iced tea and blah, blah, yeah. blah. So I, I, before Mr. Heston went up, I said, Mr. Heston, I said, I don't know how to tell you this, but the interview didn't take. And he's like, what? <laughs> and I'm, like, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I mean, I'm like this 25-year-old grad student. Uh-huh. And I'm like, look, you said this one thing about the First Amendment. If you could just come back, we'll leave it set up. And, and he was like, okay, okay. Well, when he came back, said, Mr. Heston, that quote you said from Lennon was amazing. If you would say that, yeah. that would be incredible. <laughs> so four years later, long story short, I'm back in I did all these interviews. They sat in a shoebox in my closet for four years. Fast forward now, I'm in Atlanta. The school shootings start in 97. Yeah. And I had just been introduced to Ravi Zacharias, and I was able to get a donor to find my video. So I put all my research in these videos into a documentary, basically exploring this question and was able to premiere it in 98 at this RZIM conference. And, uh, but it was just amazing because if I had talked about cop killing all this stuff, that was just old news, but that ended up being my lead in yeah. to my documentary. This whole idea of how does, how do images affect us, particularly yeah. an unhealthy mind and there are four ways American Psychological Association talks about this. There's removal of inhibitions, exaggerated fears, copycat crime, which is a small percentage. And this is the majority is desensitization. Yeah. And just the impact that can have on us in terms of lack of empathy, bullying. There's so many other ways that can play out negatively. It's not just and copycat crime is horrific. Uh, but it's only affects a small population. And so what's it's interesting, the, yeah, no, it, it, what's fascinating to me, again, nine, I mean, we're talking 20 years ago, and these discoveries right? are being now, and for time, we can't go through all of the all of the decades. And the, but clearly, when we look at where we are today, and the and the percentage of time, even the most a lot of conservative kids and very, you know, well, um, well blessed or you know blessed homes with good family life and church life there's still this influence stream that's coming in so i want to talk about your your book cuz obviously there is there's no end probably to examples of of the of the voices that come into our into our children's minds through media and through you know the devices in their hands and all of that i mean if you could just summarize again kind of the quick laundry list i don't think any of us would be surprised by any of these things but i mean of the there's the obvious things like it's creating violence if that's obvious or it's it's numbing us to things what are what are probably the most egregious things especially for students that are in um, 
you know, in, in homes where there's generally good family life? Why is, why is this counter message so strong and so it, it dominates over sometimes? Do you have a sense of kind of what's, uh, what are some of the, maybe some of the things that we don't think about in terms of the consequences? Well, and I would, here's what I would say. I just, what I've realized in early in my career, I used to do a lot of lecture based yeah. um, style teaching and would teach this kind of teach at the kids. And it was almost like uh, putting them on a guilt trip. Mm-hmm. And quickly I realized that was not an effective <laughs> way to teach this. And when I went to more of a Socratic method and started really asking them the questions and making them wrestle with these things, what I realized is they never really thought through the kind of the, what are the logical consequences if you take this worldview out, play it out. Yeah. Um, and to me, that's what became very powerful because the students started to be more self-reflective of their own media diet, what they were watching, was this influencing them or not? And then we could look at the broader impact on culture too. Um, but I think, you know, like for example, Fortnite obviously is still a, huge phenomenon among boys and very popular. And, you know, I had this conversation with my son who's in college. I said, you know, I know you're old enough now to know the difference between, you know, fantasy and reality. But I said, have you thought about the fact that, you know, one of the most popular things this game is known for is the dance moves people do when they kill somebody. Mm. And this, the association of death murder with, this humorous dance, this victory dance. I mean, that's, if you thought about that, he goes, man, I've never thought about that. That's pretty <laughs> sick and twisted. Right. <laughs> I say, yeah, but you know, but it's presented in culture. You see like whether it's Jimmy Fallon, you mm-hmm. know, doing the floss or, or pro athletes or whatever. It's, it's seen as funny, cool, no big deal. But when you really think about that and what is that, raising a whole generation on these images and this association and particularly kids that may be mentally ill. I mean, that's, that has consequences. And do you, and, and so just getting, no, go ahead. Sorry. So I just said getting him to think about that and rest with that and think twice about if he's playing this game with friends, you know, maybe that's not healthy to do a victory dance. Right. <laughs> you know, it's like right. making him own that right. and realize that, um, yeah, that's that's the scariest thing, John. Is when you don't even realize how we've we've adopted these things that just, like you said, the blurring of fantasy and reality. And and yet, then you look at statistics. And we're going to take a break when we come back. I know you guys recently hired Barna to do research for you, and you know you look at the statistics of the rising anxiety rates and depression and in our culture. And again, is anybody putting these things together? Because I would think that if you are completely confused on who your image is or in in, in whose image you've been made, clearly that's going to affect your sense of self and well-being. So absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Good. Well, why don't we take a quick break? We'll come right back with John Murray and talk a little bit more about uh, the research and the book you've written and some encouraging words for what are we to do with all of this? I, I keep saying, I think we should just uh, gather in the parking lot and burn our <laughs> smartphones. I'm not sure that's going to go over really well. Luddites rain or something. I don't think we're going to go there, but, right. uh, but somehow we got to navigate through it. We'll be right back with John Murray. Davies, I don't know about you, but it is really encouraging and exciting to hear all the people out there that are reaching out to us, telling us their stories, giving us a shout out. So good to hear from everybody. I am humbled by this, Kelly, and I'm and I'm so grateful for so many of you that come up to us at conferences or email us or just say, "Hey, we're out here. We appreciate 
um, what base camp has meant. And it means a lot to us. I'm um, not that we need to have our ego stroked, but it is good to know that oh, but we need community. We, we need, need com- to know that other people are with it's us. It's so encouraging. And I want to tell you the number of you who are emailing me for, literally from around the world. And, you know, I, I was looking at just the stats on the back end of, you know, where are people listening from? There's a huge group of you in Australia and other parts wow. of the world. So, um, I'd love to know where you are. Just, it, however, you know, to connect our community. So just drop us an email, info at basecamplive.com. Love to hear from you. It means a lot. Even if it's just a quick shout out, hey, we're listening from uh, wherever you are. And then we've asked before the Climber series. Some of you, many of you have really encouraging stories. And if you'd, you'd be willing to just share a couple minutes, I'd love to interview you. And what about social media, other places to get Social us? media, yeah, we're really pushing hard right now. If you're an Instagrammer, we, we post, we actually do a teaser uh, the day before the podcast typically releases on Tuesday, so Mondays. You can get a little audio excerpt from it, and we actually have some fun cartoons we tie into the themes and things. So there's other ways to connect with us, um, and for sure, if, if we don't have your email, we can also give you updates that way. So just go to basecamplive.com. The point is, we want to be connected to you. We appreciate you, and we're so thankful you're listening. Let us hear from you. Welcome back to Basecamp Live. Davey's here on the line with John Murray, founder and president of Imago Day Leadership Forum, and we were just chatting before the break. Uh, actually, it was our friend Brooke Hempel, vice president. Um, one of the senior vice presidents right. over at, at uh, Barna that connected us up or reconnected us up. So what did you guys engage Barna to help you figure out? Well, one of the things that I do that I feel like has been engaging to the students is before I start a lecture, I always pose a question about what do kids think um, is their generation's perspective on this issue, whether it's creation versus evolution or what are the greatest influences of their life or what social media do they most uh, use? And, you know, I've been able to gather my own data over the years just from teaching this for the last 10 years. Uh, but just wanted to see how it correlated with the broader generation um, across the country. So it was just very helpful because the students are always fascinated to know, you know, when I pull like from Pew Charitable Trust or other polls or Gallup or, even things in like Time Magazine, but to see it specifically geared towards their age and to see the results after we have the discussion, it's been really powerful. Yeah, that's really, so what were, again, some of what you're, you were looking at, really it's, it's broad spectrum. I mean, you're looking at just the trends within students today, media being one of the reasons it's changing them. But again, the, the root issue, if you just distilled it all down, is that we don't understand the Imago Day. We don't really see ourselves... Um, is made in the image of God. I mean, it's one of those things that we all, if you've gone to church, kids today probably go, yeah, that's that's the correct answer on my Bible quiz. But I don't really live like that. Is that kind of the problem? They just head and heart don't connect somewhere? <laughs> <laughs> I think that's exactly right. And one of the questions that uh, Barna helped me frame, which I really loved how they did this, was my blank is very important to my sense of self. Hmm. So this was... Uh, Kind the answer, I think, is question. iPhone. I believe it's iPhone is the correct answer. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it was fascinating. So the number one answer, 43% of students said educational attainment. Really? Which I just thought was very fascinating. Their parents would be proud. Yes. Yeah. That's right. Uh, the second most popular was 1% behind was their hobbies or pastimes was very important to their sense of self. Third was their gender or sexuality, which I just found fascinating. Mm. Um, fourth was friends. And then fifth uh, was faith. 
Wow. So again, so gender is ahead of friends and faith. That's interesting. That, yeah. You know, uh, and then family background upbringing was tied with faith. And then way on down was uh, race, ethnicity, where you came from, and like what, the region, the country. What age group is this again that you're the survey? This is for thir- 13 through 17 year olds. Okay. Yep. So again, it was very fascinating to see. And this, as Christians, you know, the fact that <clears throat> faith would be so far down um, and, you know, talking about that um, and the importance of faith in informing our lives and our worldview and our decisions. Um, and even our direction, if we're seeking God's will for our life, um, you know, we just talked about what are the implications of that and how has that maybe changed from this idea of, you know, faith, family, work, yeah. you know, or education to kind of this inversion, which is kind of interesting that, like I said, faith and family were kind of tied for basically fifth place. Yeah, which is... <laughs> um, so as a parent, as an educator, I mean, there's a lot of eroding going on. There's a lot of confusion. So the book, In Whose Image, Image Bearer of God versus the Image Maker of Our Time, I love the the title and the subtitle of that. This is really the outworking of a decade of classroom engagement that you've been having with students trying to figure out how to create an antidote to some of this, or at least fill in the gaps. Is that right? In terms of how you generate this. Yeah. And so talk a little bit about this resource and, and who it's for and what the context that you see it being used in. Well, one of the things that I feel like is very helpful from the beginning of just looking at who I am, who am I is, is helping the kids understand what it means to be an image bearer of God, what separates us from animals uh, in terms of bearing God's image. Because I always thought it just meant that I look like God. <laughs> and it's like there's... Much more <laughs> to this. Too many Sunday school portraits of Jesus, I think, maybe. It's really <laughs> That's right. That's right. As a white guy. <laughs> yeah, long hair and some but, sandals. Um, yeah. Right. Um, but this idea of just, this is where morality comes from. Just the idea of our craving for relationship, ultimately to be in a relationship with him, you know, being in community. Um, you know, our creativity, the fact that we have this ultimate creator and this amazing creator and just this desire to create. I mean, all these things are, um, when you view, they're not here by chance, but that, you know, they're written on our hearts. Uh, when you hear these from people like J.R.R. Tolkien, you know, talking about being the sub-creator and his whole fantasy world was made possible because God is the great ultimate creator. You know, I just think that's so powerful. Um, and just helping kids understand that as image bearers, we are born uh, what James Montgomery Boyce called shattered image bears um, is fallen image bears, but through Christ that we can become redeemed image bears yeah. and that we still, you know, struggle with sin, but now we have the ability through the power of the Holy Spirit to resist sin and temptation yeah. and to seek forgiveness and be, have be restored. So this idea of creation, fall, redemption, restoration is so powerful and giving kids a worldview and framework to understand the world and the brokenness in the world. And so that was a very helpful way to lay the foundation to kind of start looking at this and this idea of what is our purpose in life is ultimately to glorify God and enjoy him. And, but how to get back on track if we fall off track too. So this, um, and so the resource is designed, you designed it originally for an, a, a school context, like eighth, ninth grade students, age students and to run the entire school year or over one semester, explain how it's kind of set uh, up. Yeah, it's basically I set up for a semester 
Um, but I have also, I'm going to have three parts that would be made for a year long course, but currently part one and, and really part two could make up, uh, easily a semester or more. But it could um, also be so, used, you, you know, our time before, I mean, it could be used if someone just a parent or a parent or a teacher wanted to just use it sort of in a less formal setting than trying to do it in a classroom. You could do it at home. It could be a, a conversa conversation starter because there are videos that go with it. Absolutely. So again, if parents want to use this as like an evening devotion, you know, during dinner or after dinner or, um, or like once a week on Sunday nights, I mean, I know families do different things if they younger kids with Bible study, but there's enough where they could do a little short reading one or two page and then show a video and discuss that and really have the application piece and discussion piece with their kids. Cause I feel like there's a lot, what I try to incorporate is a lot of movie clips, current TV commercials, this worldview images um, that really engages students. Um, so it's kind of from their world. Yeah. Let, for, letting in yeah. an opportunity to speak into that. So maybe share specifically both just to maybe give a, a suggestion to a parent that's thinking like, how do I get a conversation going that would help us really expose some of the, the gaps maybe in, in my child's thinking around their understanding of being made in the image of God. And maybe it's part of what's in the curriculum. Like how do you, what does that setup look like? What are the, how does that flow? Well, once we look at this idea of who am I and kind of lay that foundation, then we look at, you know, how does the media influence us? Because one of the things I want to establish early on is like, look, Super Bowl, they wouldn't, advertisers wouldn't pay whatever, $5 million for a 30-second ad if they didn't think they were going to be able to influence your thinking. So understanding that, you're going to need to understand just the worldview behind the media you're consuming and that there is a worldview behind that and what that looks like. Um, and so I spend really a chapter looking at that. And then this whole idea of my identity, you know, what we talked about, what do I base my sense of self on? And how much of, you know, obviously there's nothing wrong with using Instagram or Facebook or even Snapchat, but so much of that is we're putting out an identity out there that many times is, you know, our best self or maybe even our airbrush self, <laughs> you know, Photoshop self. Imagined um, self, yes. Yeah. <laughs> right. So now easy to portray someone that we're not or to only show the great things that happen in our life and cover up the other things or the reverse is seeing someone else saying, man, their life is so great. Mine's awful. They're always doing these cool things with these cool people. And it's just, it gives us lack of self-worth and it just takes a lot of maturity to be able to discern. I cannot look at this and base my self-worth on this or think they have more than I do or a better life than I do. I just have to be able to look at that and enjoy it you know, affirm them, but not get sucked into this, man, I've got to have more likes or more cool experiences to measure up. And so it's just helping. I, so many of my girls after this lesson have said, Mr. Murray, this is so powerful for me in just terms of body image mm -hmm. of just seeing, you know, even models are airbrushed and touched up and they're so upset by that. Or this whole thing with Jennifer Lawrence going on the red carpet and a couple of years ago and how people said she looked fat. And it's how devastated she was. I mean, here's this beautiful Academy Award winning actress who um, feels awful about herself. And she went on Barbara Walters and just really expressed this, how painful and hurtful this was. Or even Lupita Nyong'o, who's this beautiful actress growing up, said she, only ideas that she ever saw of beauty were of white models. 
and how she prayed to God that he would make her white because mm. she just felt like she was inferior being a black woman until she saw this famous model, Alec Weck, who was just beautiful. She said, dark as night. And it just made me for the first time realize, man, I'm beautiful too. And mm. it's just, it shows you the power of image. As a matter of fact, she just wrote a book for kids on this called Sulway. And it's about a little girl growing up wanting to be white and realizing, you know, it's character, you know, is what really God is what God sees on the inside versus the mm. outside is what ultimately matters. But that, you know, as image bearers of God, you know, our color, everything about us is, you know, God um, designed and loves yeah. us for who we are. You know, the thing is you're saying that this is the tension that I've, that is in so many areas of, of parenting and, and educating children, which is, I think they, I could see, or let me frame this in the form of a question. It seems like students today, um, whether they're in the home or in the classroom would concede, yeah, that's right. I see the deficits and sort of basing my identity on what people think of me or like, or don't like, but the difficulty, and this goes back to kind of the Nancy Reagan, just say no to drugs. It's kind of like that didn't work because she didn't tell you what to say yes to. And it's easy to kind of, I think in under the microscope say, look, there's a problem with your identity based on how many likes you have. But obviously you've got to counter that by saying, I need, I'm there. I need to find my identity then in peers and in the gospel ultimately that really deeply satisfies me and if the currency that's being traded is likes even if we say it's bad it it doesn't give an alternative so how how are you walking students into this viable alternative of the gospel in in real full color and not just biblical theory that they're supposed to subscribe to <laughs> <laughs> well i think going back to some of these examples like jennifer lawrence like lupita nyong'o or even sadie robertson from duck dynasty she wrote a book called uh, basically being true to yourself. And she did this video that went viral of her sitting in her bedroom with no makeup on and just talking about how she's just a regular person and how it's easy for her to get sucked into these things, but she's also a believer. Yeah. And she tells a story about Samuel going to pick a King uh, and looking to the tall, handsome son of Jesse when it was the little shepherd boy that God had chosen. And that's when, you know, the Lord famously states, uh, man, man looks, looks on the outside. outward appearance. Yeah. Yep. The Lord looks at the heart and just for kids to see, it's one thing for an adult to tell them this, but then they see a peer saying this and someone they respect, I've found really resonates. And so looking for those role models, um, or even showing people who are famous, who are struggling with issues, that this is a real identity issue. Like, uh, I don't know if you've ever seen the clip from Tom Brady on 60 Minutes um, where they're asking him, so what do you, you know, he mm-hmm. said, I've done all this stuff. I've won these Super Bowls. Is that all there is? He yeah. goes, I just, you know, and it just, he's searching for meaning and purpose. Yeah. And, you know, my is that Tom Brady would find ultimately in Christ, but just showing this wrestling, we are wired for purpose. We are wired for our identity that only can be found in Jesus. And then to show them people like Tua Tunga Baloa, who I'm a huge Alabama fan, roll tide. But anyway, <laughs> who's this, this amazing role model of, you know, when he won the national championship, came in at time, down by two touchdowns at one, and just after the game immediately gave glory to God. But yep. even with his recent injury that people thought could be a career ending injury, is just giving praise to God in the hospital room. Mm. And just Nick Saban was saying, I was so bummed out. He was encouraging me, you know, yeah. just because 
he exudes Christ and how powerful that is. So as I go through these things, even in science, this idea of where did I come from? Because one of my students, you know, so many of my students are that were in Christian school for middle school and now secular high schools are getting bombarded with this idea that you're an idiot or uh, ignorant or unintellectual if you believe in creation and creator God. And when we talk about all the science that points to a creator God, you know, not even quoting scripture, although I do that too, but it's using the science that talks about that points to all the things that have to happen for life to exist on earth, how just exciting and affirming that was for them. And then to hear scientists that they respect throughout history, as well as today saying, absolutely faith and science go together are complementary. They're not at odds with one. It's faith versus faith. You know, it's like Mm -hmm. Dawkins faith (laughs) in aliens seeding life on earth versus us believing God created it, you know, or bad, good science versus bad science. So things like this, that you really have these, and then bringing into popular culture of showing, you know, movies that show us as cavemen drooling Neanderthals versus when you read in Genesis chapter four, early on, Men are creating cities, instruments, tools, doing herding. I mean, things that were very advanced and took brilliance that goes against that idea that could have men have lived in caves. Sure. But did that make them these unevolved uh, imbeciles? No. But yeah, that's the image. If you ask kids, what do they think of when they think of early mankind? That's what they will tell you as opposed to Adam and Eve and their offspring who were doing amazing things early on even the joke about egyptians that i said where do they people say pyramids came from well ufos you know right. it's like they're not even willing to give egyptians the credit yeah. for building these amazing yeah. pyramids. so john it sounds like the resource uh in whose image is really an opportunity to help parents and educators get these uh, maybe more contemporary examples in front of their students because it's often hard for us to stay quote up with the times and you've done a lot of that research for us yeah, well, and that's one of the things when I applied for the grants um, and thought of doing this as an online textbook that I really wanted to have the videos because I knew that would give me the opportunity to provide these links uh, to use movie clips, TV commercials, uh, just modern cultural references that I've have really connected with the students. It's been a lot of fun. Great. Well, so t- all that to say, how do we how do we find this great resource that you've talked about? <laughs> <laughs> Well, probably the obvious easiest way would be if you went to my website, uh, www.id, the letters ID, leadershipforum.org. Uh, but also you can find uh, In Whose Image on Apple iBooks, um, on Amazon Kindle. So um, yeah. if you go to my website, I'm just going to direct you to those links. You can find, okay. But those, <laughs> and you do. But again, because. Go ahead. Sorry. I was saying because most schools use you know, Chromebooks or iPads uh, or even MacBooks. Uh, this way, between Apple and Amazon, I can cover pretty much all devices used in a classroom. That sounds great. And I also just want to mention to folks, I'm looking on your website. There's probably 10 great podcast podcasts we should do on here in terms of <laughs> topics and things that you speak on because you do uh, present uh, to school groups as well as parents, everything from things are happening in terms of coming trends or how to, uh, you know, address millennial parents or things that's going on. I love Hollywood meets the apostles creed. That sounds like a really interesting topic. So yeah, you're available to, to speak, um, and get out. Absolutely. 
yeah, no, that's been a real blessing to you to be able to go into communities and speak to students as well as um, teachers, parents. Um, great. It's been a real great part of this process. Excellent. Well, John, thanks so much for being on Basecamp Live. Thank you for creating this resource uh, 10 years in the making, and hopefully it will be a really strong antidote to the uh, epidemic that's a part of even in our Christian families of kids just really struggling with who am I and do I matter and uh, being the counter counter message. Thank you for your great work here. Thanks for all you're doing too and just see Basecamp. I think it's a great resource for parents and educators so thank you you're welcome john we'll have to have you back on and cover some of these other topics thanks so much (laughs) take care that's a wrap on another episode of Basecamp live guys we know it is not easy raising the next generation this idea of ancient future education it's so valuable it's so important we're all excited about it we'd love to hear about you and we want to help support you in what you're doing so find us tweet us at Basecamp live If you're on Instagram, look for us there. Send us an email, info at basecamplive.com. We'd love to hear from you. Let us help you carry the load along this journey and encourage us as we go through this journey as well. Thank you so much.